0: Welcome to Cinecast, a CineDeck podcast where we chat with outside the box thinkers that are changing the video industry. Take 1. <clears throat> Welcome to the Market Scale Sports and Entertainment podcast. I'm your host Tyler Kern. Today, I'll be talking to Mike Nugget and Matt Schneider. They both work in the post-production world for film and television, and they're going to talk about the advancements in their industry and how they've had to creatively adapt as each new innovation presents a different set of challenges. They also talk about some of the tools they have at their disposal that they've found most useful and the one thing they wish their clients knew about their particular work. All of that is coming up next on the Market Scale Sports and Entertainment Podcast. All right, welcome to the Market Scale Sports and Entertainment Podcast. Today I'm joined by Mike Nugget and Matt Schneider. Mike is a freelance colorist and finishing editor, and Matt is the director of technology at Technicolor Postworks in New York. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me on the Market Scale Sports and Entertainment Podcast today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. It's our pleasure. Before we get started, actually, let's take a second and just uh, kind of clarify and explain what it is you do in each particular industry, uh, starting with Mike. Mike, uh, kind of explain what a colorist and a finishing editor does. Uh,
1: okay, so it's uh, part of the post-production process of television and film. And as a colorist or finishing operator, I'm the person who sits in hot seat. After, uh, after a show gets uh, edited and everything's done, it kind of comes into our post world, uh, meaning after the edit. And then we're the ones who finish everything off. We make it look good. We uh, touch up stuff. We do visual effects if needed. Be, if needed. And then once we're done with that, we, our facility or our coworkers will help us deliver and make all the master files. So we're kind of the last line of defense before things go out to air um, or to QC process first, actually. So it's kind of like the last, uh, very last process in the whole scheme of television and film. So being a colorist, uh, when things are shot, they're not technically shot 100% as what you see on TV. They're shot purposely sometimes uh, what we call flat, which is less color and less contrast. And then when we get it, we, we take all that information and we make it quote unquote look beautiful and, and to pleasing of the director's and the producer's vision and to legalities of television and film, and then it kind of goes out from there. So we're really kind of the last line of of tidying things up, making it look pretty, and polishing it off.
0: Yeah, I I watched your reel on your website, and some of the work that you're able to do is uh, absolutely amazing and absolutely fascinating. Um, And so, Matt, uh, you work in the same industry, but uh, maybe on a different side of things than what Mike is doing.
2: Yeah, definitely. So I... I work on the technical side of of post production, and um, it, it's a little bit of an ambiguous job. In fact, my mother once asked me what what films I had edited recently when I was talking about how work was going, and I had to explain to her that I'm actually not on the creative side. I actually don't edit movies, uh, but what I do do is that I support those who are creative, uh, such as Mike. Um, so uh, you know, my first my first my first priority is to is to be a technical support person. I have to make sure that. Uh, Artists and editors and colorists are able to do what they need to do without technical interference. So that's a mixture of supporting the computer systems themselves, the networking, the storage, the software applications and so on. Um, The next part of my job is to be a workflow specialist. So it's less about just the nuts and bolts of technical support. It's more about understanding how uh, a production goes from one stage of the process to the next. You have to have a general understanding about how the software tools work with the artist and how the software tools work with each other and you have to also have a, a kind of a an overs you know an, an oversight viewpoint of how one stage of the process kind of slides into the next um, and then the other kind of aspect of the job is really to kind of um, to answer pretty much any technical wor- or workflow question that that needs to be answered by either clients or artists like Mike or some of my colleagues at Postwork's sales operations and so on. And I think you have to have um, a kind of a crystal ball view of the world. You have to have a sense of where the industry is going now today and then tomorrow and then in the future.
0: So let's talk about that uh, where you see things right now and how they've changed just in um, just in the time that the two of you guys have worked in the industry, Matt, I know you've been there at Technicolor for uh, fifteen years, and Mike, I know you've been in this industry for ten plus years yourselves. Uh, how have you seen things change just in this time uh, to where to the point where we are right now
2: say so the um the the most notable changes come with the well. I'd say the, changes, the change exists in many different ways, but the, the, the most notable change is the fact that the workflows aren't necessarily getting easier. That's probably the, that's an oversimplification, but it might be a somewhat valid simplification. Um, the resolutions and frame sizes and the, the amount, uh, the quantity and quality of work that gets worked on on a regular basis um, has changed dramatically over the last 10 years, even in the last five years. Um, and the other thing that's changed is obviously the way people watch content. Um, you know, the 15 years ago, 10 years ago, it was uh, cinema and, and traditional uh, terrestrial-based television and cable television. Um, and that's actually uh, not the case anymore. Uh, content, finished content is viewed, uh, as you probably know, on so many different kinds <coughs> of devices and streaming has really taken over the way content is is viewed on a regular basis, so uh, less of the traditional terrestrial based television more of streaming content that's viewed on a multitude of different devices
0: and Mike, I want to know a similar thing just about what it is you do how has uh, as technology has changed and maybe there's been this evolution of how people are consuming content these days, how has that changed what you do and affected uh, f- affected your job
1: well uh Kind of piggybacking on, on Matt's thing with techn- with the, the file and streaming, I mean, one of the hugest things I think in the past eight years or so has been the obsolescence of tape formatting formats and stuff like that. So now everything's file delivery. So um, that means that cameras are shooting a lot more, um, which Matt can definitely attest for. Um, so instead of just instead of having to carry around you know hundreds of tapes or or five hundred tapes and it's a bulky thing situation now they're just carrying around these little SD cards and they can shoot ridiculous amounts of footage. So uh, where a show used to might might shoot shoot like five hundred hours of footage now they might shoot you know five thousand hours of footage, and that that hinders the entire post process from their offline team editing to what they deliver us as a post team and how much. Files we have to sift through to get the right stuff. Um, also, the formats of files have changed. Uh, UHD, 4K, HDR, uh, all this new stuff has been is really very cumbersome on the post process that we do because we're the ones who have to kind of make it as seamless as possible, like it like it used to be with just HD. But now with these huge files and servers that we need and disk space, which is tremendous. Um, that's kind of the file size file side part of it as far as color goes i mean the acquisition of hdr is huge uh, i just did my first hdr job over the summer for netflix and it was it's visually amazing and it really what we used to want to do to a, a, a shot we can now do and we're allowed to do um it also means more technology more physical parts as well there's only a certain number of monitors that we're allowed to be using for uh uh, spec purposes and things like that and then we also have to consider that the consumer doesn't have these monitors in their room i mean the, the, the ongoing joke forever in post is that what you see in here in our rooms will never be as good as it is out in the, in the real world because it's streamed. It's on people's consumer TVs. Nobody calibrates their televisions correctly, I'm sure. I mean, maybe I a know. handful of people out there. Right, exactly. Matt does, I do. I'm sure. I'll, I'll,
0: call, I'll call you guys for tips after we're done here.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, you're in our room and you have a $30,000 monitor and where, you know, I'm working with, you know, 50000 $100,000 worth of equipment in front of me and making it perfect. And the client's like, oh, it looks great. It's perfect. You know, print it kind of thing. And then when you go home and watch it on your TV, it, you know it somewhat looks like what you did, but there's a good chance it's not going to because of cable, because of what's streaming, how fast is their web service, I mean their internet, uh, how good is their TV, do they have a UHD TV, how, how bright can that TV go versus the one I used. There's so many factors. So it's really, it's fun. It's fun being on top of this stuff and fun being a part of the new technology, but it's also, it, it is a lot of work. And uh there's a lot of portions of the television industry that that don't not that they don't care about this part but they don't have to care about it it's not their job to worry about it and it's our job to worry about this new stuff and and hdr 4k is a really uh really big change in in, in the landscape
0: so as you tackle different challenges in these different projects that, uh, that you guys work on uh, in different uh, areas of this industry, uh, are there any particular uh, tools that you guys have used or come across that have made your jobs easier or maybe uh, innovated how you're able to, to accomplish your work?
2: Yeah, I think the most interesting shiny object tool set that Mike and I have bumped into uh, largely accidentally over the last couple of years is a... a uh, a software application called Cinex Tools, which is from a company called Cinedec. Um, Cinex Tools is a self-contained software application that is solving a pretty major problem that the file-based production and post-production world created when production started to rely on file-based workflows for any ty- any kind of content creation. Um, and The problem was that unlike the, the videotape metaphor, which allows you to make um, small changes to without destructively changing the entire videotape. You know, to put into more technical terms, you can do an insert edit or an assembly edit to a piece of videotape without destroying the rest of the videotape. That capability died when file-based workflows became a thing. And pretty much every toolset that Mike and I use or that Mike uses and I support Um, would require the artist or the editor or the colorist to recreate an entire file from beginning to end, even if you changed just a few seconds. So if you had to uh, change the, the opening title card because somebody's name got misspelled, something as simplistic as that, You still would have to re-export the entire two-hour movie, even if you were changing three seconds of content at the very beginning of the movie. And that's been something that we've painfully lived with for the last several years, until we accidentally bumped into this tool, Cinex Tools, which solves that problem. Uh, It allows you to take a complete file, a closed file, and do an insert edit into that file without destructively changing anything before the insert point or after the insert point. And you also don't have to go back to the original production uh, workstation to recreate that file. It's a real paradigm shift, in my opinion. Uh, And it's really changed the way we finish shows. And then Mike actually, through uh, his creative use of these tool sets, realized that we could apply this tool set for, for finishing workflows. Mike, do you want to talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, kind of going back to what we were saying way earlier about uh, technology and file-based and how, yeah, some things are not real-time anymore. So like I said, if, if I export a 40-minute show and it takes 80 minutes, let's say, and the client's, you know, dragging, weary about it and like whatever, but she, that's what they have to do. They have to accept that. And then literally they're watching the file down and they, and they see a misspelling on a credit or they see something wrong, whatever. In their heads, they'd go, oh, crap, I have to now wait another hour and a half for this file to be made. And that was true. And <laughs> as an operator and as a facility who I don't even know the, the monetary value of that, if we charge for that or not. But either way, you're losing another hour and a half of time, whether it's actually chargeable or it's as an operator, it's my time being wasted just sitting there watching a bar go by. So um, it's something that like the whole entire industry is always barked at. Like, why is this? Why did, why did this file-based technology just destroy us you know, in, in that way? Uh, there's, many, there's many upsides to it, obviously. So um, in 2016, as Matt was saying, we both went to NAB, And uh, randomly one morning, Matt runs up to me. He's like, yo, have you seen this Cinex thing? I was like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, go right there. There's this guy sitting there by himself. So I went over there, and I met, <laughs> I met, I met, I met Charles. Uh, and I'm going to kill his name if I try to say it. It's D'Otremont. A, yeah, there you go. It's a French name. Ooh, very nice. Um, yeah and he showed me what he did literally in like 10 seconds and i just looked at him and i was like did you just do what i think you did he's like yeah and he's he's a very dry guy which is is even funnier and uh he's like yeah and i I looked at him i said this is going to change the industry he said i know and i was like you guys are going to be like billionaires he's like yeah i hope so
0: Uh,
1: so literally that was version 1.0 so from then on me and matt have like kind of on the side almost been like let's let's keep going with this thing, whether PostWorks supports us or not, or anybody else, let's just keep running with this thing. Cause eventually it's going to be like, It had a lot of bugs in it. Obviously it was the first, uh, version. So we ran with it. And then, you know, two years later now we're both part of their like testing sites and stuff like that. We, we see them all the time at NEB and we have dinner with them and whatnot. And, um, it has come a long way. It, it came so far that it wasn't, you know, instead of just being used for deliverables where you'd export a file and then you can actually punch into it, which is amazing and take seconds and the clients were like, holy cow. Um, but we've also started incorporating it into the workflow. So instead of, um, there's a file format called DPX, which is a very um, large file and it could be cumbersome for some systems to use. But that was the only way you had file based insertion. So, if you, because ha- it, it's literally a file for every frame. So, in, in one second, there's 24 files. So, if you have to switch out files 16 through 18, you just switch out 16, 17, 18. With a flattened file, you can't do that. But with Cinex, you can. So, now instead of, instead of making a DPX file sequence, which is very large, very cumbersome sometimes, uh, we can make now QuickTimes, and, and, which is totally acceptable by most uh, networks. And now we can insert into that so we were using it to go from online work or conform work into color into color where we can make a flattened file color would start coloring it and if there needed to be a change I can literally insert it while the colorist is already working on it and it would update a system like automatically so it kind of really when we first realized that we could do that we okay you know let's let's try to do this with a real client you know? we, me and Matt would always test things and then be like this worked great but now we have to try to sell this to a client and tell them it's going to work. And then of course we have to fix all the bugs if anything ever happens, but we got it to work. And that same high profile client that I was talking about before with the seven seasons, uh, they accepted it and we started using it. And all of a sudden we started using, you know, this, this quote unquote tiny piece of software that was made. We used it on a huge, you know, Emmy award winning show and used it flawlessly. And it was huge. So it opened up the doors for a lot of things. And, and now that clients are stuck, like now that I'm on my own doing freelance work, I, I have one of the license, I'm literally have it right in front of me as I'm talking to you. Uh, I showed these clients and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna insert this slate cause you wanted to change the date. They're like, you can't do that. I'm like, oh yeah, you can. It's like, <laughs> and here you go. And, I, and then I'll show it to them cause I have the software and they're like, so how much does that cost? I'm like, just get it, just buy it. you you're gonna use it. So. Um, you know, shockingly, two years later, two and a half years later, since we started to kind of use it, it's 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 not used as much as we thought it would be and think it should be. And everybody I ever talked to is like, this is, I've been waiting this forever. I'm like, I know, so have I. And that's like, why is not everybody jumping on this? So they've incorporated it into some of their systems, into the systems that we use now. Um, so, you know, not trying to completely sell them, but it's a great piece of software. And then like Matt said, I think it's one of the... For me, as an operator who has to do these files and make these files, and I have to sit in the room with the client who's a little, you know, pissed off that it took double the time to make a file, and I'm not doing anything besides watching a bar go by, and they're paying high rate. Like to save them an hour of time is a lot of money, and when you can do that 22 times in a, in a season, you just save them, you know, almost a week's worth of, of work, and that's that's a lot of money, and that and that, that changes into happy clients, and uh, you know, it, it works out well. So. Unfortunately, I don't I know. I know people are using it out there, but I don't think it's as big as it should be. And uh, everybody that I speak to loves it, and uh, definitely going to continue using it.
0: So, how have uh, maybe how has software programs as they have evolved? Uh, have you been able to find that they've given you a little bit more flexibility to help take on some of these challenges, or uh, or are you still feeling a little bit cumbersome in how you're able to uh, able to handle some of this work? <laughs> no,
1: well, <laughs> the good thing is. Uh, well, I guess the good and bad thing is that you know, none of this is secret. No, it's not a secret that HDR is coming out. It's not a secret that 4K is out, 6K, 8K, whatever. So uh, most of the quote-unquote good companies out there that we all work with, all the big name brand uh, vendors, they're on top of this stuff too. So it, it's, really, it's really working hand-in-hand. Hand. Like It used to be that these, these systems were so powerful that they just had so much stuff that we, we wouldn't even be able to break them if we tried and now I feel like it, it, it's almost caught, to the point, caught up to the point where we're pushing them just as much as, like they're, they're finishing a new release on their software, we're getting it the next day, reporting back bugs, and like two days later, there's a new version. Like, it, It's this really nice handshake that's going on with all these things. And as an operator, first of all, this is all new anyway. Every, HDR is just new in general. So you have to learn your own skill a different way. And then you have to rely on these software to be able to let you do it that way. And thankfully they've been doing it. I mean, I think the biggest thing uh, is really storage and speed and graphics cards and things like that, not necessarily the tools that we use. uh, But I'm sure Matt can talk more about that one too.
2: (laughs) I think some clients have become a little desensitized to the process. And to your question, Tyler, I think to some degree that has to do with tools, (laughs) the tools themselves, the software applications, the computer systems that are used to run the software applications, they've become more accessible and they've become more infor- affordable. And that has blurred the lines between what a client does and what a facility or artist does.
1: Yeah, I think it also, um, along the same lines as Matt was saying, like, you know, people think that files are easier because they're, you could just drag and drop them. First of all, it, it, it requires extreme amount more of organization on on multiple people's parts. If the camera guy two years ago who shot something didn't label the files right, then two years later when it gets into my room, it's chaos. Uh, Or in the mid process when they're doing offline editing and they're they're cutting the film, if the assistant editor doesn't label the the shot right and all the metadata that comes across with the camera, if they mess that up, it makes our life chaos. So it, it actually, it opens the door for so much more Uh, disorganization that could be potentially a problem everywhere. And then also on the same side with the files with with clients, it's like, oh, you just need to make a file. That should take quick, right? And like, no, it's actually longer than real time. So where it used to, you know, a 40-minute show used to go to tape in 40 minutes. You just hit play and it would be real time. You watch it down. Um, You don't do that anymore. You hit a button and you watch a bar go by on your computer. And it could go faster than tape, most, most of the time it does. But if it's, it's a, if it's a big file, UHD, 4K, stuff like that, uh, it might not. It might be double the time. And the hardest thing to swallow, I think, for clients is that they don't get to watch that final product, uh, not live. Like it used to be we'd hit play, go to the tape, the tape, the the playhead on the tape would come back to our room, and we'd be watching what the tape was playing back. So this way we can kind of QC it as it went down. Now, you might have to spend double the time making a file. You might have to spend an hour and a half making a 40-minute file. And then after that, someone has to watch it down as well. So it's kind of ironic how, how like it, it's supposed to make things easier and quicker, but sometimes it's, it's just 10 times worse. And again, as a post house, we're the ones who have to take, the, take that burden, try to figure it out, monetize that as well, because now we're taking double the time to do it um, and then work with that. So yeah, it's definitely a double-edged sword.
2: I'd, I think the most uncomfortable question in post-production that we hear, that Mike and I hear every day, is how long will that take? <laughs> you know, as Mike said, you know, if you had a, a, a videotape and you captured a videotape, that was a real-time process. So if it's a 40-minute tape, you know it's going to take 40 minutes. And if you're printing the tape as an output and it's a one-hour show, it will take one hour. And there was never any, any ambiguity as to how long that aspect of post-production would take, especially with the, the input side and the output side. But now when we get that question, whether it's from our clients or from our colleagues in sales or operations or scheduling, or from studio bosses or post supervisors, it's a tough question to answer because every single workflow is a little different. It, it really is the snowflake uh, concept when it comes to workflow. So it's very difficult to answer that question authentically. Um, and it really comes down to guys like Mike and I trying as many permutations of these workflows as we can, so we have those answers ready.
0: Would you say that that's the one thing that you wish more people knew about what you did, um, or is it would it be something else? Uh,
2: um, that's a great question.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a good question,
2: Mike. What would what would uh, you choose if you could pick one thing?
1: I mean, do I wish they understood it? I, I, hmm. I don't expect them to because that's not their career, that's my career. That's why they come to people like us. Um, so I don't expect them to, but at the same time, I, I think I would want them to accept the answers a little more sometimes when, you know, when we're like, okay, we did this testing. You know, There's times when me and Matt spent nights and days and weekends doing testing for free just because of our own sanity so that when we got into a job, we would know what to anticipate. And then after doing all that testing, you sit the client down, you say, okay, listen, we did A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and these are the results. We literally have notepads worth of stuff or typed up, whatever. And then, you know, they always seem to be like, okay, well, can it go faster? It's like, uh no. Like we just that's why we did all that testing.
2: But then they say, <laughs> well, when I worked with the other guy across the street, I think it went a little yeah. faster. And then you have to explain, but what you were doing with the other guy across the street wasn't exactly what we're doing right yeah. now today. It's a little different.
1: There's so, very, yeah, the whole apples that there, there is no more apples to apples. There's now Fuji apple to Macintosh apple to Gala apple. Like there, there's so much out there now that you can't, like Matt was saying, like a tape, a tapes, a tape, no facility is going to, and around the world is going to do a, an output to a tape faster than any other facility. It's just physically not possible. What files, it could be a computer, it could be a graphics card, it could be how big the file is, what kind of file it is. I mean, the amount of different type of uh, files is unbelievable. Uh, so there is no more apples to apples. So like, it's, it, like Matt was saying, like, you might get you know, X answer from one company and you might get Y answer from another company. And there could be 50 different variables of why that's different.
0: So I, I was reading uh, Mike on your uh, LinkedIn account, and, and you had listed some of the uh, some of the recent projects you've worked on. You know, Russian Doll on Netflix or uh, Basketball Love Story for ESPN. Uh, for both of you guys, uh, Mike, maybe you you start off by answering this, and then Matt uh, fill in after that, and just kind of explain how it's different for you. But how do di- working? How does working on different um, projects, like different types of projects? You know, for instance, a a documentary versus a a, a short film. How do those, how do the differences in those projects um, manifest itself for you guys and create new challenges that you have to creatively overcome?
1: Uh, well, it's funny you say this because literally a half hour before this call, I just got off with another client who I've never met, never talked to, never met in person, nothing. And they're like, hey, can you do this? I was like, well, hold on, back up. I have 50,000 questions for you. Um, that's where we start. And that's usually literally what Matt does. Matt, Matt was also part of a, a team called the Test Lab, which they would test out workflows and they would also be the first part of, like a salesperson would get a job in and they go directly to those guys to say, okay, what's the best way to do this? What system, what person, what operator, how much storage, Mean all this other stuff. They'd figure that out and then usually start looping us in and then we start going from there. So um, really, it really is a individual situation every single time. I mean, very rarely, I mean, I can count on one hand how many times I've had a client that has repeatedly come back and it was just like, okay, this is what we did last year, we will just do it again. Not only does their side of things change, whether they have a different camera person or a different assistant editor, or they change systems on what they edit on, but also technology, again, literally every two, three months we have to learn something new. Um, you know, last year we might've done it like this, but this year we figured out, you know, it's better to do it like this. So it's really the first line of defense of any phone call I have with anybody is, okay, let's start from the beginning. what did you shoot on? You know, what did you edit on? What system you working on? What system do you want me to work on? Uh, luckily I I know multiple systems. So it's, it's always a conversation of like, well, what do you want me to work on? And they usually like, well, what do you want to work on? I'm like, well, tell me what the workflow is and I'll, and I'll decide which one's the better one to do. Um. So that, that, and of course, uh, I, I used to work at Postworks as well with Matt, and that was the great thing about working at a big post facility is that there's so many tools available. There's all different kinds of color systems, all different kind of conforming systems, everything. So like you really, uh, you know, zone in on what is the exact best thing for each client. And it literally every, like we had one client for seven years, I think. Um, and I believe every year. Every season, they had a different online editor. Uh, they had two different colorists. They changed systems after the fourth year. They changed workflows in the last year. I mean, they were with us for seven straight years, and you think, okay, everything we from season one, we'll just do again. But they stopped shooting tape. They stopped delivering tape. Uh, we had new tools that we can work with, um, some workflows that me and Matt helped develop. We, we incorporated to them. Uh, so it was like there is no more... Normal, and there is no more one answer for each client. It's really just a ball throw it up in the air. Whichever one you catch is is going to be the right one.
0: Matt, do you have anything to add about that? Uh, just the the process, I suppose, of, of figuring out exactly how you need to tackle uh, different types of projects.
2: Um, effectively, it's what what Mike said. The, you know, every I will add that every every project does seem to begin with what feels like a therapy session. Where you're kind of, you're, you're sort of, you know, if you walk into the therapist's office and you're talking about your, your, pa- your background and your parents and the relationships you've had, the discussions very much feel like that. You, you begin a workflow discussion with what did you shoot on, what formats and codecs and frame sizes and frame rates and bit rates and, and what camera systems were used. Did you, are you editing with us or are you editing on your own? If you're editing on your own, here's some guidelines to follow. Oh, you've already edited the movie. Okay, that's good to know. All right, well, since you've done everything in a way that we probably wouldn't have chosen if we had given been given the opportunity to choose a workflow for you, now the conversation suddenly shifts into here's how we fix problems that are already baked mm. into the process. Now we have to uproot those problems so that your finishing stages of of conform and yeah. color and mastering can be done effectively and without undue delay or or cost burdens. So it is, it's a constant dialogue. Um, the, the craziest thing about it is that the more, referring back slightly to what I said earlier, the more accessible the tools become and the more cost-effective the tools become, the more the temptation exists for creatives and clients to do some of the work themselves. But diametrically opposed to that, the more deliverables there are and the more volatile the industry continues to be and the more different you know the more uh, formats and delivery types and mastering formats that are required of our clients by networks and studios and ott providers and so on, the more uh urgent it becomes to have these kinds of conversations with a with a post facility or a post expert who can speak to the A to Z process
1: yeah, I think also in a in a, a kind of nerdy way we where you we get happy a lot of times as nerds um, we love it when a client comes to us who is like, I'm about to start my project. And we're like, yes, because then <laughs> then we get to guide them because a lot of people don't think about post until they're in post. And then by then they've either messed something up or forgot about something. And we, like Matt said, we have to clean it up. But if a client comes to us from the beginning and we always suggest that they do that, like if you're thinking about coming here and you're about to shoot this for next year and you're, you're not coming here until next next Christmas, let's talk now so that you can do everything quote-unquote the right way or or the way it would work better in the end so that throughout the whole process it it gets streamlined so when it gets to us there is no questions and then then if there's a problem it's our fault and that's that's okay because that's what we're here for but if if they don't do that and like matt said they come and they're like oh i did it this way this way this way and then we go oh great now let's figure out how to fix that because it's gonna your process is going to be uh not so smooth here. And, and, you know, the post, let's be honest, the post uh, process is not cheap. You know, it's not an inexpensive pr- process of the whole thing. So a lot of people come to us and they're like, you know, I spent all my money shooting and I spent all my money doing this and that, and I only have X amount of money to do this. I'm like, well, that only gets you three days here, and I, we can't pull off what you want us to do in three days. If you would have come to us last year when you started, we could have pinpointed some troubled areas. Fix them, and then by the time you get here, we could have done it in three days. So uh, you know that, that that's it. I, I think some of the bigger television shows, like the network television shows that have been around for a while, and most of the time have a crew of people that we work with that have been in the industry long as long as we have or longer. They know the process, and they will come to us, and that's that's why some of those shows, as as big as they are and as as, as huge of a process they are, they they actually work out pretty well because. The people that are working with them know the process and they've been around the industry for a long time. When you get an independent film, I think this is kind of go back to your original question. When you get like an independent film or a documentary, a lot of times this is either their first time or they just don't know about the post process because they just want to go, you know, dive in, in Arctic waters and shoot their, you know, whales in gorgeous camera. And that's great. That's the burden we're supposed to take on, but it, bec- it could become a, an issue. If it's not done correctly throughout the whole process. So, um, yeah, that, and then that's the thing with the different formats. Like if you get a a network television show, usually it's a little more buttoned up because you have people who are shooting it, who have been doing it forever. You have post supervisors who have been doing it forever, who, who know us for a long time and all this other stuff versus a new documentary show, uh, that comes in and they don't really even know what goes on in it. Like, I can't tell you how many people have walked into my room and literally said the words. So what do we do with you? And I'm like, well, you just hired me, so I hope you know because you're, you're paying for this. Uh, and now you're going to pay for the next half hour while I explain to you what I do for a living. And, uh, and that happens a lot. And, and it's not their fault. You know? It's not being naive. It's just not knowing what the process is. And, uh, you know, so, it, it, yeah, d- depending on the different levels of television and film, it, and it also brings in different experience uh, levels as well.
0: That's an interesting way for that therapy session to begin. So what exactly do you do? Mm
1: -hmm. Um... Um, (laughs) Happens all
0: the time. I believe that. I believe that. So I want to wrap up just by asking about the future of the industry that you guys work in. Uh, Matt, I think you mentioned earlier just that it's a volatile time. Do you see it staying that way, or do you see the industry uh, adjusting maybe to some of the changes that we're seeing these days? Or is it just such a rapidly changing industry that volatile is just uh, is the norm, and it's just uh, every day is a new adjustment to a new uh, to a new change.
2: In the trenches it certainly feels like every day is entirely different and you're completely relearning everything that you thought you know that's what it feels like in a day-to-day day day-to-day basis but if you take a step back what we will probably see is that uh the rate of change will will be like the aztec pyramid where where there are periods of tremendous change <coughs> where people have to very quickly adjust to changing workflows and changing approaches to creating content Uh, and then it will slope off a little bit i think right now we're in a period of great change where it wasn't that long ago where hd was really the only delivery uh format that people sweated about when they finished their project but now we're in a period where you have to deliver not only 4k or uhd but you're delivering different kinds of 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 color there's standard standard dynamic and high dynamic range um, and there's also a, a blending, a, a, a blurring, I guess, of content that is meant for cinemas and content that is meant for traditional television and how people are watching that. Um,
1: plus, you, plus, you have the advent now of cell phones and pa- uh, um, tablets, which are literally a different, another different format that was never around 10 years ago.
2: And one of the biggest aspects of the, the market in general, I think, is it'll be interesting to see how non-fiction television evolves over the next 18 months to 36 months. So it'll be very interesting to see how the nature of content itself changes. That's what I'm most curious about is we, we know that Content is is viewed on a multitude of different kinds of screens. We know that uh, there is a general trend towards streaming devices and not terrestrial-based <laughs> television. Uh, we know that frame sizes continue to get bigger and bigger. Right now, it's 4K. Soon, people are going to be shooting in 8K. Actually, they already are. Eventually, 8K televisions will ship. So we know that those those trajectories will continue. What I'm really curious about, when I what I try to think about when I look through the proverbial crystal ball is... How will the content itself change? You know there, we're always going to have film. Uh, we're always going to have dramatic television on the nonfiction side, I'm very curious to see how that evolves. I think there's going to be a lot of evolution there, and it'll be interesting to see how those content creators respond both in terms of how they approach creatively creatively their projects and and how they approach it technically.
0: All right, that was Matt Nugget and Matthew Schneider joining us here on the Market scale sports and entertainment podcast. Guys. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks so much. Thanks for having us.